Hello and welcome. You're listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. Hello and welcome to episode 366 of Writers Aloud. In this episode, the first part of a two-part interview, Bethan Roberts speaks with Catherine O'Flynn about her family tradition of oral storytelling, becoming a novelist after abandoning literary theory, and accidentally writing a novel about Elvis. Hello, I'm Catherine O'Flynn, and today I'm going to be talking to the acclaimed British novelist Bethan Roberts. Bethan's first novel, The Pools, was published in 2007 and won a Jerwood Harvard Young Writers Award. Her second novel, The Good Plain Cook, published in 2008, was serialised on BBC Radio 4's Book at Bedtime and was chosen as one of Time Out's Books of the Year. My Policeman, the story of a 1950s policeman, his wife and his male lover, followed in 2012 and was chosen as that year's City Read for Brighton. The novel is soon to be a major Amazon original movie. Mother Island, Bethan's fourth novel, published in 2014, was the recipient of a Jerwood Fiction Uncovered Prize. Bethan's fiction often touches upon the real lives of notable figures. As well as her recent novel, Graceland, which tells the story of Elvis Presley and his mother Gladys, both the lives of E.M. Forster and Peggy Guggenheim have inspired previous novels. Bethan's short fiction has won the Society of Authors Olive Cook Prize and the RA Pindrop Award. She's also written drama for BBC Radio 4. She's worked in television documentary and taught creative writing at Chichester University and Goldsmiths College. Bethan was born in Abingdon and lives in Brighton with her family. Hello, Bethan. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for agreeing to be interviewed. You're uh, welcome. I'm going to start with a fairly uh, traditional question and uh, look back at how you, you sort of start off in life in books and literature and so on. So I was wondering if there are a lot of books around in the house when you were growing up. Did you grow up in quite a literary household? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't grow up in a literary household. Um, my dad had some of those Reader's Digest, you know, condensed yeah. books which I remember were on the on the shelf in the living room. My mum read Catherine Cookson quite a lot, mm-hmm. but generally, no. I mean, there weren't very many books in the house at all. I believe that my great-granny was a big library user and often used to go and borrow books from the library, bring them back, and, you know, she would read, like, two books a week, apparently, so she's a big reader. Yeah. Um, but she'd always complained to her daughter that, that they were too hot. Well, that one was a bit hot our evening, you know. <laughs> what, what did she Ooh. mean by hot? <laughs> Sexy. A bit spicy. <laughs> a bit spicy. <laughs> but, but but she'd read it anyway, obviously. Yeah, she ploughed through. <laughs> yeah. So, so there was that kind of legend of my of, of my reading great-granny. But but apart from that, it, it, it wasn't literary, but I wouldn't say that me and my parents like telling stories. You know, my dad was from Anglesey and he had a lot mm. of stories about growing up on Anglesey. And every Friday uh, I would go to my granny's house and um, I would sit with the women. So and the women were my great-granny uh, and my granny, my mum and my auntie. 
um, the next door neighbour, Pam Parry. And Pam Parry was an absolute genius at um, impersonations. And so she used to tell stories of the road and impersonate everybody. And it was just brilliant, you know. I mean, I used to sit there kind of completely wrapped by these storytelling women. And my and my auntie would be chain-smoking. My mum didn't, didn't smoke. Yeah, she's a good girl. But, um, <laughs> and so I, I had that, you know. So I kind of think that was my, my literary training in a way. Wow. But it wasn't really until I got to school that I kind of thought about writing, I suppose. And it wasn't really until... I think I was in secondary school and I had one of those, you know, amazing English teachers who was very inspiring and and he kind of made me think like, oh, maybe I could actually write some stories. Maybe that would be a good thing to do and and maybe some people might even like to read them, you know. Ah, that's interesting. So you you had this kind of almost oral tradition that you were listening to these stories of of the street and everything. So you weren't weren't necessarily, were you a big reader when you were sort of at primary school? Were you going to your local library or, or not so much? I was a reader. Yeah, I was a big reader. And I did go to the library. I mean, you know, the library wasn't really a place where where my mum and dad hung out, you know. But I did go there. I did like it. But what I really loved was spending my pocket money in Smith's on a Saturday. My dad would go to take my mum to Sainsbury's. And I would go to Smith's and buy a secret seven. You know? uh, yeah. So I, <laughs> so um, but I don't think you know I didn't really know what to read. I remember when I was an early teenager thinking I should be reading something else, you know, because I was because <laughs> I was reading it. You know, I just read a lot of Enid Blyton, and then I read a lot of like Sweet Valley High <laughs> and you know Sweet Dreams and all those types of things, you yeah. know, which, which I loved because I just loved reading anything. Yeah. And my mum gave me Catherine Cookson. And I didn't really get it, and I didn't really like it very much. Right. And. You know, so I, I was kind of aware, like, oh, there's this world of literature with a capital L that I don't know anything about. And I hadn't really read any of the children's classics. And I still haven't really, <laughs> you know. So it was only when my my English teacher actually did this amazing thing of, of writing down a list. It was like a kind of five-page list for me and a few friends of things that we should read. And he he had this kind of code system where it would be I think it was like one to one to five for difficulty, and if they had any what he termed dodgy bits in, which again we're back to sexy bits, um, he he would put a star by it. So, I bet you, know, you went straight to those. Didn't yeah. You? So obviously the first one on my list was Lolita because I had three stars, <laughs> and I didn't know what the hell it was about. You know. <laughs> So yeah, because so, yeah, I'd, I'd read, I think you'd said somewhere that you, you wanted to be a writer from an early age, but were too embarrassed to admit it. And so you used to tell people you wanted to be an air hostess, which yeah. is, is great. Um, so <laughs> was it, what happened then? Was it was it at secondary school that you started writing little stories or, or how did that kind of germinate from there, from this teacher giving you a, a reading list? I think kind of his belief in the idea that I might have some talent, you know, Mm. was instrumental really in making me feel like maybe I should be writing more. And so I wrote quite a lot in secondary school, although I don't think, I think I had a secret dream, you know, that I would be a writer, but I probably wouldn't have said that to anybody. I probably was still saying, you know, I'd probably be a teacher or maybe a journalist. Yeah. Um, And then when I got to university, I kind of just lost my confidence in a lot of things really but particularly in that kind of creative side of myself and I started believing that 
literary criticism was where it was at, you know, and that, and that that was the real deal. And yeah. that, you know, actually it was a bit embarrassing to be making <laughs> stuff up when you could be writing endless footnotes and, and kind of yeah. pretending pretending that, that you understood literary theory, which you know, I clearly didn't, but I sort of pretended to for a while. And so I got I got distracted, I suppose, with all of that. And then I thought, well, you know, I really need to get a job because it became very clear quite quickly that I wasn't really an academic, um, although I sort of tried. Well, I, I did I did an MA at Sussex in 20th century English literature, as it was called, but really I just wrote about Italian-American men in film. So I wrote a lot about vests and <laughs> <laughs> muscle torsos and things, which was a terrible, you know, it was an awful struggle. Um, yeah, it was fun, actually. But... But I obviously wasn't really a literary critic. So for a while after that, I tried to get a job, you know, in various things. And I, and there was, you know, it was that time kind of in the 90s where everybody wanted to be in the media, where yeah. that was, you know. Yeah. And that was where you were supposed to get a job. So I ended up getting a job in telly in a, with a quite small local company and then a slightly bigger local company. And I stayed there for quite a while, right. quite liking it, you know. But gradually began to feel like a bit unhappy, a bit kind of like I wasn't really doing what I should do. So I started doing a creative writing MA at Chichester University, which I did because somebody who I worked with, her partner was a teacher there and she recommended it. And also I could just get there, you know, so I used to go after work in the evening. And that was what really, you know, started making me take it seriously I suppose and so I guess I was in my late 20s then. And so prior to that you you hadn't particularly been writing that much it was kind of that was a sort of oh why don't I try this I used to like writing before I got distracted by the whole literary criticism thing is that right? Yeah and you know distracted by the idea that you know maybe I was I was someone who would work in the media you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) which 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 I wasn't really. Yeah so I mean I've probably there about 10 years I suppose where I didn't write anything and then you know when I started doing the MA I just absolutely loved it and it was kind of like oh you know I've opened I've opened a little window here onto you know another part of my life which was just total joy yeah to step through you know and it didn't really matter about you know having a career in writing or anything it was just it was just lovely to be able to have someone read your work and be able to talk to other people about about writing and yeah. and to be sitting have have a reason to sit there and actually produce something right and so was it around then because you you won the olive cook award was that that was very early on wasn't it did that kind of then make you think well hang on this this is actually something i i could and should be doing yeah i think that was all quite a weird week because i think <laughs> in the same week i got like a, i got an agent and I won that award. I, I can't quite remember now whether I got whether it was when I got the agent or whether I got the book deal for the pools, the first of all. Right. But everything sort of happened quite quickly and then nothing happened for ages, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that was, you know, a massive sort of confidence boost. And it's just that thing, isn't it, where you think, um, oh, you know, someone's a little bit interested and, you know, someone might actually want to read this thing that I've written and that just kind of gives you a little bit of hope yeah (laughs) the little bit of hope that you need to keep going back to your desk really yeah to stop feeling deluded and think that there is some reason to do this yeah 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 yeah, exactly so 
moving on to your your novels, I was thinking Mother Island seems inspired by location, whilst Graceland and My Policeman build on real lives to a greater or lesser extent. And so I was just interested in how what's the, what, what tends to be the the starting point for a book for you? How does something that ends up as a novel take shape? And is it I don't know if it's possible to identify some sort of common spur that kicks the process off for you? Yeah, it's really hard to say, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's, you know, you're right, it is often a place. I think my first novel, The Pools, was about where I grew up um, in a lot of ways. Mother Island came from a, a longing to write about Anglesey. And even My Policeman, which was, you know, based loosely on real life of the M4 stuff, came from initially from wanting to write about Brighton right Graceland I suppose came from somewhere else so I don't know but I think it's a a, a kind of coming together of, of a place and you know maybe an idea of, of something that you know that, that interests me and, and it could be with Mother Island that just came from I suppose a need to write about what it was like to have a small child <laughs> because yeah. I'd found it quite difficult but what usually happens actually is that I start writing something and I get about, I don't know, maybe even up to a third through and then realise it's not the thing, you know. And I kind of have seem to have to go through this <laughs> almost every time that, you know, that I start, I start with one thing and through trying to write that thing, I get to the thing that that it is you know that, that, I, that right, I should right. be writing about which is a really long way around and quite annoying <laughs> um but it does seem to happen every time like with Graceland I was in that period where I'd finished a novel and you know I wanted to start another one and I hate that period where I haven't got a project mm. you know I feel really useless and you know like I you know really shouldn't exist in that time so I was I kind of what I tend to do I think is I tend to just pounce on something and think right I'll do that because it's better than doing nothing yeah. you know and I didn't know what to write about and somebody said to me oh you're always talking about when you went to Graceland with your mum and you know that's quite interesting why don't you write about that and I thought oh yeah that would be fun you know and I'll kind of write about the, the people on the bus tour you know because I went on this bus tour of, of you know the Elvis oh, sites wow. and so on and so that started out as a novel about a woman who is looking for her estranged mother, who's an Elvis fan, and she goes over to Graceland, right, on this kind of trip. Yeah. But once I started researching, you know, about Elvis and about Graceland, I got really, really interested in that. And it didn't really, you know, I, did, I never thought for a moment, oh, I know, I'll write a book about Elvis Presley. I mean, that just seemed like a ridiculous thing to do, really. <laughs> but once I started, you know, reading about Elvis, I just became so interested in it. I thought, well, I'll have a little go because maybe I could like thread, you know, these these scenes of Elvis through with this woman searching for her mother. Yeah. You know, which would have probably been crap, but you know, but but I'll do that. But then I just got totally into Elvis, and in the end, I just it just went that way. <laughs> but it was a mistake, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, you'd never guess that because it seems, I suppose, as well. You think, wow, this is, you know, you're taking on Elvis. This decision, you know, I was going to ask you how daunting it was to decide to take on that and enter into this sort of, I don't know, from the outside, it seems like almost like an industry around him. So it's really interesting yeah. that actually that that wasn't really your entry point initially. You kind of just signed. It totally wasn't. Uh, I think if that had been my entry point, I would never have gone there. <laughs> 
you know, wow. because it is really daunting and it is an industry around him. And to kind of, you know, have the balls to say, well, I'm going to pretend I'm Elvis. I mean, who does that? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just mad. So, you know, if I'd have thought that that was what I was doing, I wouldn't have started doing it. But it was just that I thought, well, I'll, I'll just dip my toe in, you know, and it'll only be part of the novel and I'm not really doing it. But then oh. I just got really into it and I kind of couldn't stop. I just love being Elvis, really. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that's really interesting. It's, it's taking me in two different directions because I want to talk to you about location, but I also want to talk about Elvis. I'm going to, I'm going to park Elvis to Let's the side Let's just talk about Elvis. Let's okay. talk about Elvis forever. <laughs> well, it's, no, it's, go on. Well, okay, I'm going to come back to Elvis and just say, I, I mean, I, I, I totally get what you said about, you know, my policeman actually being your initial thing was about Brian because I think you do you know you write about place really evocatively and uh you I've got this quote from you where you you, I don't know if you remember saying this you said there's that strong sense of nostalgia of something lost and although it's sad I've always loved that feeling I think probably it's one of the basic emotions from which to begin writing and I get that you know obviously very strongly in Mother Island but mm. I was, I, what I was, you know, love so much about Graceland was, hey, you know, the way you write about place there, you know, you really capture that haunting sense of loss and nostalgia that Elvis has for Tupelo, which is really, it's really strong in the book. So I wondered, I mean, how do you, how do you Thank capture you. that sense of place so completely? Are you one of the people who have to go? I mean, obviously you said you went to Graceland, but did you, you know, did you sort of go on a pilgrimage around all Elvis's sort of uh, places or... Do yes. you find that actually, yeah, because for some people that can be quite uh, intrusive. I mean, I just wondered how you did it. Yeah, I did do that. I mean, mm. it was, I'd, what I would have loved to have done is to like spend about a year at least living there, you know, <laughs> because I feel like in a way to have the right to to write about somewhere, you, that's what you should do, you know. Mm. You know, there's a world of difference between a kind of tourist experience of a place and, and the experience of someone who lives there but I couldn't do that because you know my my son was very small so and I couldn't take him over there because he was just started school and you know plus my husband would would never have agreed to go and you know basically (laughs) go and pretend to to be Elvis for a year in America he wouldn't have done that so I, I had to kind of make the best of what I had which was a couple of weeks really with my mum over there but what I did do is as much as possible I you know I read stuff that was written from that place so you know I read as many southern books and writers yeah. as, as I could obviously listening to voices from that place watching films yeah listening to music and you know just reading as much as I possibly could about Elvis really and I'm still worried that it's it's not really enough, you know, and I and now I look back on it and I think, what was I doing trying to pretend I was American? You know, that was just a bonkers thing to do. But at the time, it seemed really, <laughs> it seemed sort of uh, really urgent to, to, to write something about, about Elvis and to kind of try and honour, I suppose, his early life and, and his mother and that relationship. Because yeah. I guess I felt that the Elvis that most people know now is is the fat Elvis who died mm. on the toilet. You know, if I told people I was writing a book about Elvis, they go, oh, yeah, he ate too many burgers and he died on the toilet. And that was the thing that people know about him, you yeah. know, which really quite shocked me yeah. because I'd grown up with this idea that Elvis was kind of a god. So 
I suppose that my kind of instinct to put that on on the page to put you know some idea of my idea of the real Elvis on the page, uh, uh, you know, completely overrode my my um, my instinct to to not do it. So I kind of did the best I could. I hope I, it's, I hope it's all right. <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, I think one of the th- there's lots of things about the book that are marvelous that kind of. Uh, yeah, it just makes you see Elvis in a completely different way, partly because it's so intimate um, and it's this, this sort of domestic, intimate level. But in some ways, as well as sort of, it makes you very sympathetic to Elvis, you know, he seems such a lovely, lovely guy in it. But <laughs> also, in some ways, it kind of hit me afresh how insane what happened to him was and how big, you know, by focusing on mm. the, the the small scale and the domestic and he's small, mm. you sort of just think, oh my God, he's like, you know, the sort of yeah. centre of the entire 20th century kind of explosion that's about to happen. And it's kind of almost overwhelming because you allow the reader to see that completely afresh I think which is really really great I was wondering yeah Thank just while, while, while we're on Elvis I don't want to yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah no go, go on and you, you know <laughs> because you said you kind of yeah hadn't intended to sort of write directly about him like that how mm. how have you found the kind of the Elvis industry has there been you know have people come after you with pitchforks saying how dare you or, or are they actually very inclusive and welcoming and you know or, or have they just not responded at all well, it's more along the lines of not responding at all <laughs> than anything else, to be right. honest, because I think the book just hasn't, you know, it just hasn't had that kind of impact. But generally, I would say when I have reached people, which hasn't, you know, obviously it hasn't reached as many people as, as I hoped, um, <laughs> it's, it's gone down okay in that I did, a, I did a lovely event in Great Yarmouth at the Elvis Festival there. Oh, and this is, a, this is a festival that happens in, in, in this caravan park in Great Yarmouth every every year. Yeah. And and the people who came to see the event were true blue Elvis fans. They're not you know, they were, I don't think they were interested in in me at all. You know, they're interested in, in Elvis. Sure. But they they really responded to the book and um they seemed to enjoy that someone was kind of, you know, a court treating Elvis with, with, with respect. Yeah. I mean, I hope I don't whitewash him. I That wasn't what I meant to do. So so I think they liked it. And the only weird thing I had was um, somebody uh, emailed me quite early on and said, how dare you uh, write about Elvis? You didn't know him. You don't know the real story. You know, and how dare you kind of pretend this is the truth or whatever, which, you know, I'd never done as far as I was aware as it is a novel. But, you know, and I thought, well, that's a bit bit odd, you know. So so I so I Googled the person that had <laughs> that had sent this email and um it was someone who'd written their own book of about course. Elvis <laughs> and <laughs> which was all about how he was still alive. Uh. So uh, you know, I didn't yeah. take that too seriously after that. <laughs> but but to be honest, I just kind of I just kind of dodged that whole Elvis industry thing. I didn't get in touch with Elvis Presley Enterprises mm. um, because I was afraid, you know, yeah, that it yeah. that it might kind of stymie the project in some way, or that I would feel like I had to do certain things, you know. Yeah. So I tried to do the best research I could without their help. Whether that was the right way to go, I I, I don't know. But that was how I did it. That was and Roberts in conversation with Catherine O'Flynn. You can find out more about Bethan on her website at www.bethanrobertswriter.co.uk. 
And that concludes episode 366, which was recorded by Catherine O'Flynn and produced by Kona McPhee. Coming up in episode 367, in the second part of this interview, Bethan speaks with Catherine about the inspiration of small details, radio writing and cafes. We hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. To subscribe to podcasts and to find out more about the work of the RLF, please visit our website at www.rlf.org.uk. Thanks for listening.